book of 3 John. We're finishing our chapter this week that we began last week, looking at this letter of the Apostle John. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness to us. Father God, we thank you for this church body that comes together each week to worship you and to know you. Father God, I pray now through the preaching of your word that you would be glorified and that you would give us uh, open ears and an open heart, Father God, to listen and to learn and to be challenged. I pray, Father God, that you would guide us and direct us in all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hudson Taylor, a missionary that maybe you've heard of in, in the past. Taylor was born to James and Amelia Taylor, a Methodist couple fascinated with the Far East and who prayed for their newborn child. And this was their prayer. Grant that he may work for you in China. Years later, a teenage Hudson Taylor, when, when he became saved, felt an intense spiritual desire to minister to the Lord. He said, before him with unspeakable awe and unspeakable joy. He spent the next years in frantic preparation, learning uh, the rudiments of medicine and studying Mandarin, and immersing himself ever deeper in the Bible and in prayer. His ship arrived in Shanghai, one of five city ports and in China, and opened to, the, uh, opened to foreigners, and following its first opium war with England. Almost immediately, Taylor made a radical decision, at least for Protestant missionaries of his day. He decided to dress in Chinese clothes and grow a pigtail, as Chinese men did, and his fellow Protestants were critical of this. Taylor, for his part, was not happy with most missionaries he saw. He believed they were worldly and spent too much time with the English businessmen and diplomats who needed their services as translators. Instead, Taylor went, wanted the Christian faith taken to the interior of China. So with months of, after months of arriving, the, and the native language still a challenge, Taylor, along with Joseph Edkins, set off for the interior, setting sail down the river and distributing Chinese Bibles and tracts. When the Chinese Evangelist, Evangelism Association, which he was a part of, uh, was sponsoring Taylor, proved incapable of paying its missionaries anymore, in 1857, uh, Taylor resigned and became an independent missionary, trusting God to meet his needs. That same year, he married and, had, and they began to have children. Taylor became convinced that a special organization was needed to evangelize the interior of China. He made plans to recruit 24 missionaries, two for each of the 11 unreached inland provinces, and two for Mongolia as well. It was a visionary plan that would have left veteran recruiters breathless. It would increase the number of China missionaries by 25%. Taylor himself was racked with doubt and worried about sending men and women unprotected into the interior. At the same time, he despaired for the millions of Chinese who were dying without the hope of the gospel. In 1865, he wrote in his diary, for two or three months, intense conflict, though I thought I should lose my mind. A friend invited him to the south coast of England 
for a break, and it was there, while walking along the beach, that Taylor's gloom lifted. He said, There the Lord conquered my unbelief, and I surrendered myself to God for his service. I told him that all responsibility as to the issues and consequences must rest with him, that as his servant it was mine to obey and to follow him. His new mission, which he called the China Inland Mission, had a number of distinct features, including this. Its missionaries would have no guarantee of salaries, nor could they appeal for funds. They would simply trust God to supply their needs. Furthermore, its missionaries would adopt Chinese dress and then press the gospel into China. Within a year of his breakthrough, Taylor, his wife, and four children, and 16 young missionaries sailed from London to join the five others already in China, working with Taylor in this direction. As we looked at last week with the letter of Third John, focusing on the idea of supporting and partnering with one together in missions, we want to set our hearts and our minds on remembering that this month we get to celebrate and rejoice and work with others who we are partnering with in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to show our love and support for them. Last week we read about how John wrote this letter to his beloved friend Gaius and how he wanted him to continue to carry on this ministry. But today in our text we're going to see how John gives two examples, one good and one bad, of those when partnering together in the gospel. Hudson Taylor followed Christ no matter the cost. And we must ask, what are we willing to do to follow Jesus Christ no matter the cost? Are we looking at God's people as examples to follow and to imitate? For this is what John says in the text. I want you to watch their lifestyle. I want you to watch what they learn and do. As John writes to this individual in the book of Third John, it's a thriving ministry, extending hospitality. The word is going out, and yet there is still some opposition in the church. Opposition in the church is not a new thing. It's been going on for 2,000 years. And even in our text, John has to address it. So in Third John, beginning in verse 9 through 15, we read these words. I have written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So, if I come, I will bring up what he was doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and as we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. These two examples that John has given us about the conduct in the church have powerful ramifications. Your testimony and your lifestyle in the church impacts others greatly. So we want to look at that first example here this morning in verse 9. John gives an example of someone who needs to listen to his instructions. Diotrephes is a man who needed to be corrected. He needed to be corrected. It's fascinating when John is writing this letter. He's writing to Gaius. 
And in his words to Gaius, he says, you, you know of Diotrephes. You know his conduct. You know what he is doing. And you know what is wrong. And I'm going to tell you why it's wrong and what he's doing. Here John points to this man who likes to put himself first. Those are very dangerous words when we read in the scripture. He says, I have written to you something in the church, but I have written you something, and you have received that message. But before we can even discuss that message, here is this man, Diotrephes, and who likes, the text tells us, to put himself first. Those are very dangerous, very prideful words we find in Scripture. Anybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and who wants to follow him faithfully as a part of the church, the local body, and yet his, his idea of ministry for himself is, I get first say in everything. It's my way or the highway. What I say goes. What it seems to be when we, when we study the text is that Gaius and Diotrephes and Demetrius, they're part of a church community, but they're probably not all worshiping at the same place, but rather throughout the city. So where Gaius is overseeing some believers, Demetrius is overseeing some believers, and, and Diotrephes is as well, but things are not going well at that location. The Moody Bible Commentary says this about John's opening words. Saying that he wrote to Gaius in the church previously, John was referring to the present letter was, since Diotrephes had already rejected it. But neither was this a reference to First or Second John, since the issues in those letters were doctrinal error. Likely, this is referred to a lost letter urging them to assist traveling evangelists. Now, that letter had been rejected and suppressed by Diotrephes. Thus John could not say, thus John could say that Diotrephes had did not accept him. The reason that Diotrephes rejected John was not a doctrinal error, but an inflated ego. Rather than Christ having first place among them, Diotrephes loved to be first himself. Therefore he did not accept the apostles' authority. And this is something that John has already been made aware of. In the midst of these traveling missionaries, <coughs> that we discussed last week, they had shared a good testimony. John was worried about them, so he sent these missionaries to Gaius. And they came back and they reported the good word that they had among themselves. Who testified. We saw that in verse 5. Your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, John was overjoyed. But in the midst of that good testimony that Gaius is doing, there's another testimony. John, your previous letter... Diotrephes has rejected it. He likes to put himself first. He's doing things his way. He doesn't acknowledge your authority. He doesn't acknowledge your authority as an apostle, as an elder in this church. This, these were churches that John cared about, and he loved. He uses that term quite often in, these, in this short book, beloved. And yet Diotrephes wanted no part of it. Pastor Mike Bullmore says this, as such, diatrophies, or diatrophies, demonstrates again how a failure to personally yield to the gospel will inevitably result in a life that betrays the gospel. And they did this again and again, so much so that, that John had heard about it. And as he listened to these reports, he was grieved. So he writes this letter that we have in front of us. I'm going to write to you, my beloved Gaius, and I'm going to commend you for the things you're doing. I'm going to commend you for all that you've done so far and how wonderful it is that we can partner together with these people in the truth. And I wrote to you a letter 
but I have to address this. Diotrophes has put himself first, and this is not right. So then John writes about all these things that he will do with Diotrophes. And in telling us in verse 10, he says, So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want, who want to and puts them out of the church. So Diotrophes is conducting himself in such a way that I do not recognize the Apostle John's authority. He has no place in this church. I am in charge. And on top of that, these missionaries who John has said we should receive, I want nothing to do with them, and you sh people shouldn't either. And if you do, you're going to leave just as they are going to leave. It's a very arrogant attitude, very prideful. So when John says he's going to do these things, he's going to come and approach him. He says in verse 10, So I will bring up what he is doing. I'm going to come and I'm going to address this. He's going to confront him and the evil that he has brought in this church. It's an idea of early church discipline. The Apostle John said, I'm not going to mess around. I care about you guys way too much. And what Diotrephes is doing is not good. Here's some of the evil that he's done. We could break it down in this way. He likes to put himself first. Prideful ambition. He lies and gossips. He distorts the truth. And he's doing it directly about John and others. John had not even passed away in the early church, and already there was men in the church who were spreading lies about one of Jesus' apostles. Thirdly, he was arrogant. He cannot be pleased. The scripture tells us he's not content with that. Not only is he talking wicked nonsense and spreading lies, he's not content. I need to do more, so I'm going to put people out that I don't like, that don't agree with me. So fourthly, he is unwelcoming. His actions kick people out of the church to suit his own needs, so everything's just as he wants it, the way he thinks it should be. Now, when the Apostle John writes his letter, he says, so if I come, which sounds interesting to us because John is so sure of himself that he's going to confront diatrophies, and yet he says, so if I come, kind of leaving it up theoretical. But when we look at the original language, John would certainly make a future visit. It is not, as the New American Standard says, if I come, indicating a hypothetical circumstance, but rather when I come. And the Greek language tells us, can be translated, that whenever I come, there is a certainty that I will be there. It is not uncertain whether he will or, no, will or not, it is rather when will he come. And this is John's point. When I come, and I don't know when that's going to be, whether near or far, but when I come, I'm going to address these things head on. With perverted ambition and a domineering spirit, he opposed John and set himself up as the leader in the church. There is a sick and sad digression to Diotrephes' behavior. One commentator says this, his ambition led to arrogance, which led, then led to accusation, culminating in action. He loved to put himself first. He was spreading lies. And not content with that, he put people out of the church. He slandered John and gave a cold shoulder to these missionaries that were sent from John. He stopped others who would have received them and kicked them out of the church anyone who attempted, for anyone who attempted to help them. He had to have his own way no matter what. That's scary when you think about that. 
that there's somebody in the church of Jesus Christ who would behave in such a way. And not only that, it would take the Apostle John coming for a visit to correct it. Because the people who were under Diotrephes' leadership, the text doesn't tell us whether they were scared or tolerating it. We don't know. But Gaius is aware of it. He's there. He's present. He's seen it happen. And yet John has already commended him in the first section of verses, I want you to keep doing this. I want you to send out these missionaries in a worthy manner. Because here's the consequences. Here's the ramifications when somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ does not behave as if they should. He's building the church around himself and his own ego, striving to do what he wants to do the way he thinks it should be done. And this is a reminder for us. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, And he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in, in him everything might be preeminent. But Diotrophes wanted to be preeminent in the church. He belittled the ministry of the of the missionaries, he belittled the Apostle John and this and all those involved in this church. And this caused was a cause for warning and repentance to those who hear. As the Apostle John is writing to his friend Gaius, he brings up diatrophies and says, this is not how these things are supposed to be. Take warning, take heed. Look at this behavior. It is awful. It is wretched. It, this cannot carry on. I will bring up what he is doing. It is evil in God's sight. As these missionaries have traveled back and forth, John had sent them. He says, I want you to go where Gaius is. I want you to go where Demetrius and Diotrophes are located. Go serve them in their ministry. I want you to partner together in the advancement of the gospel. So they, they go. And what John hears when they, on their return is that, yeah, Demetrius... Gaius, they welcomed us, they fellowshiped with us, they supported us, they encouraged us. But there's this other guy. His name is Diotrophes, and he kicked us out. And when the people in his church wanted to welcome us, he kicked them out too. And this grieved the Apostle John. New Testament scholar, along with the Lord now, A.T. Robertson, said this. Some years ago, I wrote an article on diatrophies for a denominational paper. The editor told me that 25 men in the church who read it stopped the paper to show their resentment against being personally attacked in the paper. Robertson says, of course I had mentioned no one by name. He simply did a characteristic study, a paper on diatrophies and men in, his church, in these churches, which I believe were the Southern Baptists, 25 men were, became angry because they thought the letter or the paper was written directly about them. And this got back to Robertson. And he says, I didn't mention anybody by name. I just simply studied the scriptures and published it for people to read. It's sad when, people, when there's men and women in God's church who are so full of pride and so full of themselves. They like to put themselves first. They like to be preeminent. And it's at the cost of belittling the Lord Jesus, belittling the work, belittling God's people, and all they can think about is themselves. Pride is dangerous, and it affects all of us. 
in the church when it is not dealt with and confronted. Diotrephes was wise in his own eyes. He was prideful. How often do we catch ourselves thinking the same way? If they only did it my way, if they only listened to my advice, everything would be better. How prideful we are to think that we know better than others. What we see in our text is that as John confronted what Diotrephes was doing, he's telling Gaius exactly what he's going to do. He wants to confront him. But in the midst of that, John says, I want to tell you about another man. You're aware of this man. I want to commend you for what he's doing so that you don't become discouraged. You see what Diotrephes is doing, but I also want you to listen and to hear and be reminded of what Demetrius is doing. So John gives another example. But this is an example of someone who is listening to John's instructions. Demetrius is a man who had no need of correction, but rather, as an example, to imitate. So, John writes, Beloved, verse 11, do not imitate evil. Don't be like Diotrophes, but rather imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So just before John commends Demetrius, he reminds Gaius of this. Once again, I want to remind you of my affectionate love for you, beloved. This is how I want you to behave. This is the command. This is the imperative that he calls Gaius to do. He calls him to action. He calls him to mimic or imitate those who are in the faith, serving the Lord faithfully. John says, do not follow the way of evil. Do not follow those who are with their inflated ego. Don't follow those who have their own agenda. Rather, look for those who are doing good. Rather, look for those who are following and serving Jesus Christ faithfully. And I want you to imitate that. Be an example of Jesus Christ. This shows the church. It shows God's people, those who are truly his, and those who are not. Turn with me to the book of First John, chapter 4, over just a few pages. To demonstrate this more fully, John's idea and what he writes in the scriptures is very consistent. The love that he showed, the love that he demonstrated in the letter of 1 John, he continues to demonstrate in these other letters. So as, as he's writing to Gaius, he says, I want to commend you. I want you to follow the example and the good that is happening in the church. Don't listen to diatrophies. Don't follow the evil. For here's what he writes, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So no one, no one who has ever seen God, if we love one another, God's love abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So as the Apostle John writes these things, Beloved Gaius, imitate what is good. Don't be imitators of evil. 
How, how quickly we, in, in our own society and in our culture, can look at people and watch what they do and how they behave. That we, 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 mimic, we mimic people. We imitate people. We imitate people we like. The preachers we listen to, the books we read. And oftentimes, there's those who are not doing things that are pleasing to, Lord, to the Lord, and yet, well, we like what they're saying. So we keep listening. We keep reading. And yet before long, we're wondering, how did we start to think this way? How did we process this this way? This isn't right. This isn't honoring to the Lord. Look rather to those in the church who are living pleasing to the Lord. Watch what they do. Listen to how they talk. Watch how they behave. So John gives this example, verse 12. Demetrius, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Demetrius, he's received this good testimony. Imitate him. Follow his example. Do the comparison. Look at what Diotrephes is doing. Look what Demetrius is doing. For he has a good testimony in the church. Or in the comparison, where Diotrephes was doing this, he was prideful, he spread lies and gossip, he was arrogant and unwelcoming. Demetrius did something entirely different. Demetrius had a good testimony from the church. How joyful was John when these missionaries returned to him and said, Hey, Demetrius, yeah, Diotrophes isn't doing some nice things, but Demetrius, he's doing really well. What a testimony. What an example. He received it from the church he was a part of. Demetrius also lived the truth that they had taught. He received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. His life was consistent with the scripture. His life was consistent with what John had instructed them to do. And on top of that, Demetrius was affirmed by John. Our testimony about him is true. We also add our testimony, verse 12 says, and you know that our testimony is true. You know my word, Gaius. You know what I have to say about him. You know what these other missionaries have said. Look to his example. Look to how welcoming he is to these partners in the gospel. Welcome them. Serve them. Send them out in a manner worthy of God, as we saw in verse 6. Send them out. Keep it up. Don't become discouraged. Don't let the prideful arrogance of diatrophies discourage you. Rather, look at what Demetrius is doing. The Moody Bible Commentary also says this, of this exchange. Gaius was not to be an imitator of the evil example of the rebellious inhospitality, but rather of the good of Demetrius. The reason for this exhortation is that he who habitually does good gives evidence that he is a child of God. The opposite is true as well. He who persists in doing evil has not seen God, or you could say, has not been born again, is not saved. Turn back with me once more to the letter of 1 John. In chapter 3, John gets right to the heart of this. He's written it to the church. And his example is, those who give evidence of their life, of their hospitality, of their exhortation of the gospel, of living the truth, their life is evident that they know the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who do the opposite are evidence that they have just set themselves up and they're doing it for their own benefit. First John chapter 3, verse 9. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And that's exactly what Diotrophes was doing. He was not loving the brothers. He was not loving the message that they were receiving from God through the Apostle John. Diotrephes was setting up his own prideful ambition to live for himself, to demonstrate that he thought he knew better and what should happen. And yet John encourages Gaius by saying, Demetrius is giving evidence that he is a child of God. Follow that example. Diotrephes is giving a clear example that he does not know God. We established him in the church at some point in the past. He learned, he taught. He seemed like a guy who was capable and able to lead this church who loved the Lord. But when the Apostle John had gone, he goes, now I'm in charge. My way. What I think is right and anybody who disagrees with me should be put out. This is not the example he was to follow. Ultimately, we're to follow the example of Jesus Christ in everything that we say and do. And John is encouraging them that, remember, I walked with Jesus. I slept where he slept. I ate when he ate. I went with him where he, all over the place. I'm telling you, I'm imitating him. I want to be like him, and I want you to imitate me. Demetrius is doing it. I want you to continue to do the same as well. He affirms him. He encourages him. He gives them these examples. Who are you watching? Who are you imitating? Who's watching and imitating you? It happens day in and day out. And is even happening in the early church. So much so that John had to address it head on. To show them, and to show Gaius specifically, don't become discouraged by what you see happening. I'm going to set it right, but until then, stand firm, stay in the truth, continue to be hospitable, and demonstrate Christ's love in action. With these two examples, John offers some parting words for us. He says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we shall talk face to face. John closes this letter with some personal remarks, and these remarks show us the personal intimacy of what a local church is supposed to be like. John's remarks are short and sweet and to the point. They tell us that he intends to return in the near future. It's not a wishful hope that I come back someday, but rather I will return, and this is what I want to encourage you with. John's personal conclusions of farewell show us how intimate the early church was. They were together because he says to them, the friends greet you, the people with me, John writes. They greet you. They send you greeting. They want to hear about you. They want to know you're doing well. The friends greet you. How personal this is. And on top of that, he, John tells him, Gaius, greet the friends, each by name. You know who I mean. We work together. I don't need to list them all out. You know who is near and dear to us. 
You know who we love. I want you to go to each of them by name and tell them this greeting from the Apostle John. I love them. I'm coming soon. This church is personal. It's intimate. So it so much grieves John when Diotrephes is doing this evil in the church. He wants to set it straight. He wants to correct it. In this brief and personal letter is a great reminder for us today that we need to continue to show hospitality. We need to continue to partner together with people in the gospel and show the true traits of Christianity. That is, by our love, by our action, that we demonstrate that we are children of God by the way we talk, by the way we act. Because when we think we know better, it just shows how prideful we are. We need to be involved in people's lives. As John says, greet them face to face. Don't be involved from a distance. Don't be here in person on Sunday and distant the rest of the week. Be in contact with people. Show your love for the people God has placed in your life. May we heed the warning of Third John. Repent of our pride. Imitate that which is pleasing to the Lord. And demonstrate that we are indeed children of Jesus Christ. Though Hudson Taylor had received some criticism and opposition from his fellow missionaries for his conduct and the way he was behaving, in the midst of all that, the other ministry organizations were dying out. And the ministry that Hudson Taylor had started began to grow. Taylor continued to make enormous demands upon himself. He saw more than 200 patients daily in his practice of medicine when he first returned. And, his, and the missionaries who joined him, some balked at what he did and accused him of tyranny, but they had to be dismissed. Some missionaries in the wake of this and other controversies left to join other groups. But in 1876, with 52 missionaries, his organization began to grow so that it comprised one-fifth of all missionaries in China. Because there continued to be many Chinese to reach, Taylor instituted another radical policy. He sent unmarried women into the interior, a move criticized by many veterans. But Taylor's boldness knew no bounds. In 1881, he asked God for another 70 missionaries. By the close of 1884, he got 76. In late 1886, Taylor prayed for another 100 within a year. By November of 1887, his prayer was answered with 102 candidates who had been accepted for service. His leadership style and high ideals created enormous strains between London and China and the councils. London thought Taylor and a crazy. Taylor said he was only doing what he thought was best for the work and that he demanded more commitment to committed followers of Jesus Christ. He said, China is not to be won for Christ by quiet, ease-loving men and women. He wrote, the stamp of men and women we need is such as will put Jesus Christ and China and the souls first and foremost in everything and every time. Even life itself must be secondary. It's not about our comforts. But it's about serving with people for the advancement of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And this is what John wrote to Gaius, verse, four, verse 8, we saw last week. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. Let us pray together before we take communion.
I'm going to ask the men to come up front. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warning from your word. I pray that you would help us to heed this warning, to consider the seriousness of it. Father God, that we would not be prideful, puffed up, arrogant individuals who desire our own way, but rather let us be a people who want to serve you faithfully in the local church, to demonstrate your love. Teach us to imitate others. Teach us to watch and see what is good. Father God, teach us to confront the evil. Father God, that we may have no part of it. I pray that you would guide us and teach us in all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.